Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Women in Sports podcast. This episode is all about the importance of the daughter and dad relationship to help girls be active. We talk about why rough and tumble play is just as important for girls as it is for boys, how dads can play a key part in helping their daughters develop vital movement skills. And by doing so, that not only strengthens the bond with their daughters, but they start to see the world through a gendered lens and become real allies for change. In 2019, Women in Sport first trialled the Daughters and Dads Active and Empowered programme in partnership with the University of Newcastle in Australia, Fatherhood Institutes, EFL Trust, and six club community organisations with national lottery funding from Sport England. It's to help low-income families get active with their children. To find out more about the programme and the impact it's had, I'm joined by Professor Philip Morgan, founder of the programme at the University of Newcastle in Australia, Lee Warren, Daughters and Dads Project Lead at Women in Sports, Lucy Ridgway, Girls and Women's Officer at Stoke City Community Trust, and Jodie Foxall-Brown, who plays for Stoke City Women's. Welcome to you all and thank you so much for joining us. Phil, you started Daughters and Dads back in 2015. It'll be really interesting if you can give us a brief overview of the programme and why you set it up. Yeah, thank you. So physical inactivity for both children and adults is a, is a global problem. And so I've been working, um, developing programmes in schools and the communities to try and address these issues because um, you know, the evidence for the importance of physical activities for physical and mental health is, is just well established and there's incredible, incredible benefits. Uh, in doing so, one piece of the puzzle is education for families. And so schools have a role, but then how do we get evidence-based parenting strategies in this, this world that we live in with, you know, activity-sapping environments and technology, et cetera. And so family-based approaches to improve physical activity was a bit of a starting point. And we'd looked at different ways to do that from programs for the whole family, whatever your family unit is, and then um, programs for mothers and daughters, um, programs for um, the targeted parents with overweight children. And it was just really interesting exploring the differential impact of these programs. But one of the things we realised was that when we spoke about parenting programs is that when we mentioned parents, it was probably just the mothers and so we did a big review and basically found that of the last 213 randomised control trials that have been conducted internationally, that 94% of participants um, were mothers, only 6% were dads, and there'd never been a program that targeted dads only. So in any attempt to improve activity within a family, it's so much easier when whatever parents are in that household, if they're both on the same page and actively involved and engaged. So from a scientific perspective, we're really interested in what would happen if we brought fathers and father figures into their children's lives. Uh, and along that journey, we found that there was this kind of gendered aspect to family physical activity where many um, fathers had spoke of the struggle to motivate their daughters, were disconnected in some way, were less likely to encourage their daughters. And so girls were marginalised in many physical activity contexts. So the idea came about what would happen if we brought fathers and father figures into their daughter's life using physical activities engagement mechanism. So that was a bit of the research background and there'd never been a program internationally in any field that had targeted daughters and dads. And that's incredible, just 6% of dads. So what was the reason? Why were dads not getting involved? Did you get to the nitty gritty of that? In our review, we spoke about there's a very sort of mother-centric focus traditionally where it was more likely 
that the men were working and the, mo- the mothers were at home. And so over that particular period of time, they'd put these parenting programs on times that not necessarily suited um, the work um, timetables of many men. But also they assumed that traditionally that, well, if one of the parents has got the information, you don't need to involve both as well. And so it, there was an, a number of other barriers where many men didn't realise their, their role as well in promoting activity in the context of a family. And so it seemed that from our response to when a program is made just for men and other fathers, they're more likely to sign up to it. And so it's really interesting actually exploring what motivates people to sign up to programs. But clearly when it's just parents, then the dads just don't sign up. And that's just in programs, but also just in, in research, exploring family behaviours, nutrition, physical activity, not even just a program. Uh, another systematic review looking at all the studies in that field found the same figure, which is quite remarkable, that it was like 94% of data we have on families is from the mothers filling out the questionnaires. So while we think we know everything about family physical activity, um, maybe we're just beginning because we haven't targeted um, for those families that have both mum and dad a huge percentage of the population. So the, obviously the program at the, has now been running for a number of years in Australia. How has it developed and what's the impact that you've seen? Yeah, so it started from that research question. What would be the impact on girls' physical activity when we brought fathers and father figures into their life in a, in a nine-week community program um, that was made up of both education sessions but also practical sessions where they did things like rough and tumble play and worked on their fundamental movement skills and did fitness together and the dads learn about evidence-based parenting strategies. So that was the primary purpose initially. Then in rigorous randomised trials, we found there was all these other huge benefits such as on the girl's self-esteem and social-emotional well-being, the closeness of the father-daughter relationship from both father and daughter's perspective, but maybe most importantly that, A, the men became great gender equity advocates and thought differently about the world um, and learnt that your opportunities in life should not be defined by your biological sex, and that changed their perspectives, and, B, that we empowered our girls by giving them the psychological resources so they became resilient and persistent, but great critical thinkers. And if you're a female in this day and age, particularly in a sport and physical activity context, you need to be resilient, unfortunately, because of many of the unique barriers you face, but also for the girls to know how they would deal with the barriers they would face. And many physical activity programs for girls have been criticised and had minimal impact. And a, a seminal study actually said that we need to address gender and it's like what what does that mean for us in this program we develop critical thinking where we taught the girls you're going to see things and hear things and there's going to be silences that are deafening but what do you do about it and understand that it doesn't define your opportunities the careers of everyone sports for everyone and you're not defined by your physical appearance your body's an instrument not an ornament getting the dads to be those equalist parents and teaching the girls to wear those gender glasses so then they can question it or smirk on the inside, we say, and talk to their dads. So that's the, it's daughters and dads active and empowered. So activity is important, but it almost became secondary to developing psychological skills and well-being in the girls so they can face the world with the support of their family and open up many doors. It's really, really fascinating, isn't it, that you start with activity, but actually this opens out into a whole host of gender issues. 
Lee, it'd be really, really great to hear from you just about bringing the programme to the UK and the experience that you've had and you've seen over the three years it's been running in this country. It's been a really interesting journey for us over the last three years of, of implementing it here in, in the UK. And I think, you know, we, we made some small but relevant changes to the context and the environments of, of the programme to make it more relevant to, to the areas that, that we were delivering in and the audiences that, that we were working with. But ultimately, we kept to that real same core structure that Phil and his team over in Australia had, had developed. And, you know, we've, we've seen some profound changes um, with, within the families. You know, as part of that journey as well, we've gone through a two-year period where we've gone through a pandemic where there's been major restrictions to what families can do and what, what children can do. We've seen real increases within their co-activity levels between um, daughters and their fathers and father figures. But that hasn't just been directly to the to the participants that are engaged in the programme. It's also had that cascade effect onto the wider family. And what we've actually seen is an increase from when they first come into the program at baseline to how active they are um, three to six months after the program. So there's been some real benefits there on um, providing them with some of the tools um, and the resources to, to enable them to be active at home in their own environments, the, the confined areas that they had during the pandemic but also some of those more localised community spaces. So for a family, you know, we've heard directly from, from fathers around how we've supported them with their knowledge and their understanding around their daughters. They've become much more attuned to them and that bond that they've developed has enabled them to really understand their motivations, their interests, um, but really focus on that development of, of them as an individual, spending quality time together. Lucy, we'll just come on to you quickly because I'd like to understand a little bit more about your role. So if you want to just give us an overview of, of what you did on the ground to start with. First couple of cycles were, were face-to-face. Fortunately, we only got halfway through the first one. We actually did it directly after school because a lot of the, the participants were self-employed and they, they had their own businesses like in the trade and things. So they could actually miss an hour and then kind of make the time back up. So it was quite interesting doing it directly after because obviously we envisaged it being um, sort of evening. And it went really well, um, but obviously we only got halfway through. So what kind of activities did you do? You know, what did it look like on the ground? If I was turning up to a session, what, what would I face? So the first part was generally um, like a bit of an icebreaker bit of fun to start with and then it sort of be more theory so obviously focus on different topic each week so it could be positivity confidence critical thinking so there'd be a little bit of information on it and then there'd be little tasks and, and challenges and stuff and um, but the bit that they, they loved the most was the, the practical the rough and tumble they loved the most I think that's where they had uh, a lot of fun obviously play fighting with the dads and, and doing different things and I think initially some of the dads were a bit like oh you know I can't play fight with my daughters and is this going to be a bit awkward and sort of by like the end of the, the first session they love it and that's the thing we we loved watching the most fundamental movement skills obviously the throwing the catching the kicking they love that as well so we sort of weighted the sessions quite heavily around them too and the girls loved learning new skills and I think it was quite nice to watch if they did struggle with catching or throwing the dad's actually sort of teaching him you know, giving them little tips and sort of really helping them. So obviously as facilitators, we'd go around and, and help the girls. But if the dads are actually helping them, we'd sort of step back and, you know, and just kind of let them 
let them do that because effectively when the programme finishes, it's going to be the dads that are helping the daughters to develop them skills. And then we, we sort of finished with a little bit of fitness. They were quite knackered by, by the end. So we, we only sort of did probably five minutes of fitness, but we did always try and do something to just really say, you know, hey, that, that healthy side and that keeping fit is a fundamental part of the programme. Sounds like the dads might have learned quite a lot about themselves during that. Yeah, I think they did. Um, and I think, I think they learned a lot about themselves, but I think we, we found they learned a lot about the daughters. So when we kind of asked in, in the first week, especially like the theory weeks, some of them said that they did more sporty stuff with the sons. Um, and they, they tend to pick activities like reading or making things with the daughters. And actually by like quite soon into the programme, they realised that the daughters enjoy the sport as much and actually they they shouldn't have really thought that but a little bit was around sort of society and you know how girls are perceived and a lot around the competitive side so you know there's there's a bit of a myth that girls aren't competitive with sports or as much as they aren't as competitive with boys but actually some of the girls on the program were competitive and, and you saw that in the rough and tumble play like they really wanted to win and and I think the dads then realized actually they like sport and they are competitive as well. How big a change did you see in some of the families from the beginning to the end of just that short 11 weeks? Yeah, the, the, the change was really big. Obviously, some, you know, I think there's little issues sometimes with attendance because it, it generally was evening. Obviously, we're targeting deprived areas, so some of them relying on taxis and things to get there. So, you know, there were some that perhaps didn't come um, as much as they would have liked, but sort of those that come five times or more, I think that's where you saw the real difference. You kind of saw that bond at the end, just sort of coming in and chatting and going and doing stuff out of the programme, sort of saying that they're doing football and golf and stuff as a result of the programme. Still get emails now from some of the dads and they'll send pictures over and stuff and say, you know, really thanks for the programme. I'm, I'm doing these activities with my daughter that I, I didn't think I would do. That's been a big one. Um, and I think a lot around, like, the self-esteem of the girls, I think they now sort of realise that a little bit more, that, you know, girls have to not have more care from the dads and sons, but, you know, it is harder to be a girl sometimes, um, especially at school and around that sort of teenage age. So a lot of them are now prepared um, for that and for them challenges um, and I think they, you, you could see that they were trying to help the daughters not just with the physical side but actually the emotional as well. It's just incredible isn't it we're creating a this sort of new generation really of male allies which is fantastic. Phil you've got three daughters how much of an influence were they and an inspiration for you for this programme? Absolutely. And I've, I've been asked before, what if you had three boys, would, would you have done this? And I went, no way. And it's probably good. I had two brothers as well as a sister and, and it probably from more, a, a, you know, traditional approach where the boys were playing sports growing up. And you just, it's not that you're a bad person, but you just don't really think about that. And then, um, and then having your own daughters and then starting to realise, hang on a second, why is everyone buying this for their birthday? Why is everyone saying these sorts of things? Why is everyone commenting on how they look, even if they're not dressed up? Why are they Why are they limited options? And so clearly there was a personal inspiration and wanting the best for them, but I was an avid sports person as well. But then I spent a study leave where I just studied, hang on, what's going on in this space? And, and just learning as much as I could um, about promoting activity, sports and well-being in girls and then realising they face really unique barriers 
and then there, there are some things that we can do. And um, Lucy alluded to like the fundamental movement skill um, improvements as an example impact. And we'd, we've published this in a few papers and actually demonstrated that when you look at say an, an effect size, you can, you can look at any outcome for any program and compare and say, oh, would you improve five units on that and two on that and 20% on this? Like, how do you see which was the biggest on effect size as a way to standardise the outcomes? And our effect size for fundamental movement skill improvement was the greatest improvement in any program for boys and girls in the world in terms of how much they improved from pre to post. And when people say, oh, wow, what did you do? Well, guess what? When you compare it to school programs or community coaching programs, guess what we had? We had a one-on-one -on -one coach. And we taught the dads how to teach them in an appropriate environment. So, of course, with that dose, it makes a huge difference. And when you look at global prevalence of fundamental movement skill mastery in kids, but particularly in girls, it is, well, disappointing. Uh, it becomes quite a motive to think that some Australian data, for example, shows that less than 5% of girls leave primary school. So, you know, they're 12 and 13 years being able to develop to um, show mastery in that in kicking, catching, throwing, striking. And these are the precursors to involvement. If you can't kick, will you play football? If you can't strike and throw and catch, would you play cricket? And so the huge barriers to involvement, both as your confidence. And so this program represents an additional support to get them to a level where they may break through and go, you know what, now I'll give that sport a go. And that is so key because otherwise, unfortunately, if you've been in schools, you know, um, it's a challenge. For many schools and whether they've got specialists or classroom teachers teaching PE and teaching sport and give that individualised attention that they need because from the day it's a girl that's going to be born, you're, they're marginalised in sport and physical activity contexts and that's an unfortunate reality. So having that realisation for the dads as early as possible and for the families and to give them additional support. If your child was struggling with reading and writing at school, then they may need some tuition at home. And for whatever reason, so it's it, the program kind of represents in a sports context that form of tuition. Yeah, I mean, it's a downward spiral, isn't it? Because if they're not learning those fundamental movement skills, a they're not going to play play sport. They're going to have less confidence, and that enjoyment level goes down as well. So clearly, that will have an impact. Just to build on that, I think you know we we observed and we heard that directly from some of the the families that that we worked with, and you know even to the level that we we had a PE teacher um, as as part of one of our our cycles, um, and we heard directly from him how the program gave him the skills to break down um, some of those fundamental coaching points to be able to become co competent in performing a throw or a kick or a catch and he he was a teacher in a school environment delivering to, to secondary school children but actually it helped him to really understand the technical points for his young daughter um, and break that down for her to give her the confidence um, to 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 be able to perform the, those skills so for, for the father to have that knowledge, that skill, but also the confidence in himself to be able to support and coach his daughter rather than just jumping straight into an activity that is expected that da their daughter has the skill. Um, when actually we know, you know, they have been um, deprived of those opportunities in their early years. So actually they're, you know, we know from the academic research and Phil will be able to talk to this much better than, than me because I'm not an academic, but, you know, as he's just mentioned with regards to, um, competency and skills um, in, in fundamental um, movement skills that girls are further behind than, than boys. So I think given the fathers that knowledge um, helps them to actually create an environment and create activities um, for their daughters to one, 
help support the skill development, but also make sure that that activity is actually really enjoyable for them, where they can actually build that confidence in their own abilities. It's really interesting. Now, I've got a seven-year-old daughter, and she's a brilliant case study for a lot of this. And we know that self-belief starts declining in girls as early as seven. And already I can see that. So I've got a son as well. So that's quite interesting. So he's nearly nine. And my husband will take them out in the garden. And so my little boy will get his goalie gloves on and he'll throw himself about playing football. And Florence will just stand on the sidelines. But in, in fact, we've learned to involve her. We almost have to make up games. So we'll play and the ball is a, is a unicorn egg and she kicks that. And, and the minute we make up a game and we use the imagination around the game. So it's not that she's playing football. It, she's, she's involving this in a wider game. She wants to be involved. So how different is it coaching dads and father figures to play with their daughters as opposed to sons? That, that's a very common experience when you have those with sons and daughters. And one of the challenges is, is that for the same reasons that, and it can happen in the playground, it can happen in families where the boys can dominate the attention of a parent in the area that they're interested in. And as such, what happens in families is that aspect of role play. We're like, okay, you're the sporty one, so what am I going to do? I'm not really involved in it. So we actually have in the program, here are the eight top tips for dads to engage their daughter. And you know what you could do? You could put daughter or you could put your child who's not as interested in activity and sport, doesn't necessarily have to be, and always is girls. But on the first one, one-on-one time. One-on-one time for any relationship, friends, families, um, with parents and children is different to when you have the whole family there. So actually finding time to have that one-on-one time and then it changes the nature of the interaction. So, hey, do you want to come and play family football with the brother? No, thanks. I don't like football. Oh, she doesn't like football. We don't have her involved in football. Or, hey, how would you like to come down? There's three different activities. Unicorn egg, chase the spider. Sorry, that's an Aussie um, tailoring, um, which many of you wouldn't choose. And goalkeeping. You choose. And you know what? We're going to have hook. So it may require more nurturing because what you're looking to do is understanding that, that they might not see that in a space. Hey, would you like to come and watch Stoke play football and we'll watch these amazing women in action? So, you know, choice and autonomy is the second one. So the dads have this bit of a hit list to go, you know what? Because as I alluded to before, many dads report they struggle to motivate their daughters. Um, but maybe more disturbingly, there was one national study in Australia that showed that 70% of fathers have stated they don't think they have a unique and independent influence on their daughter's well-being. So absorb that for a second and think, well, well, hang on. What do you mean 70% of dads don't like their daughters? No, 70% think, well, the mum's kind of involved. I'm an extra set of hands. I can call a princess. I can help out, but hope I have a son so I've got a bit of a role. And part of the program is actually saying, you matter in your daughter's life, as does your mother as does any adult grandparent that is heavily involved, you have a unique and independent influence. And traditionally, and it is more common for the father figure to really enjoy that, it's called an activation relationship. So they primarily bond through physical play that's characterized by stimulating, exciting, vigorous intensity, competitive, sports skill developing domains. And they, they are more likely to initiate that sort of play enjoy it and sustain it. It does not mean that mothers can't do it. A mother can do it with their son or daughter, but it is more likely. And they're more likely to do it with their son and not their daughter. But Lucy just said, and it's common, before this program, and we've run other programs internationally, like, oh, we won't do the rough and tumble play because the dads don't know about girls. They will, that is the most loved activity. 
doesn't matter what culture we've we've had adaptation of different father programs, but they miss out. And rough and tumble play, for example, is so important for well, it's fun, it's vigorous, but it develops strength. It impacts on the brain and its development and emotional regulation, social awareness. But more importantly, if you don't wrestle and play and fall over and graze your elbow and knee, then don't stand on the sideline and say, oh, my daughter never rips in on the pitch at football. She stands off when you've never given her a chance to learn how to get bumps and bruises. So she's treated like a fragile flower for years. Then you say, oh, she doesn't really rip in. So they miss out on all that really important play wrestling and they're often dressed in ways that don't, and that don't do that, don't get your dress dirty and you're wearing sandals. It's like, let's dress for play and fun and we open doors. It's an epiphany for many of the dads in the sessions where they realise, well, fatherhood is a, a massive responsibility. It's enormous privilege, but you're not out of the game when you have a girl. If your child's healthy, that's special. That's all you really want and realise that. And sports doors aren't closed. You give the, the you mentioned my personal example now, my girls, our schedules with sports and what's happening, basketball and touch rugby, as you call it, and football and all these sports, and they just love and the competitiveness and joy and social connection that brings with their teammates that they love, all the benefits of sports, and we're all kindred spirits. We close the door and don't give girls a chance. If they drop out of sport in teenage years or don't develop the skills, and they miss out on all those things that we've had the benefit of being involved in and it continues into your adult years which is what you want absolutely I mean the joy of sport is immense and you know we're all preaching to the converted in this group but Jodie you've sat quite quietly on the sidelines through this conversation listening but I'd love to kind of learn a bit more about you and your experiences you you grew up with a brother and a dad who was very involved in your early years you've been playing football for Stoke Women's now for 13 years I believe so can you give us a bit of an overview into your, your early childhood and how you got started into sport and, and playing football? Yeah, so I was always a, a sporty child, really, not not specifically football, you know, as I was a young child. But my brother and dad were very, very into football. It's just something I was around all the time. Um, even my wider family, extended family, were, were all into football as well. So I think I was around eight years old and I, I just said, you know, I, I want to play football I and mean, we, had, we had a local team down the road who I sort of signed up for and then my dad became the coach of that team I think having him as a coach really helped as well because you know not only was I having that time to bond with him he was actually helping me to develop as a player as well um, which I think was really important it's something that we shared throughout my whole life um, massive Stoke fan so we, we would go and watch Stoke but not only that we would he would take me to like local games on, on Sunday morning you know Sunday league men's games up the road we, we would walk up together up the road maybe but having that time actually to walk there watch the football play a bit on the side together and walk back and actually speak about the game like I say that that was helping me to develop even more just you know talking about the game and you know what I'd witnessed and he would always tell me to sort of watch one player or you know when we went to the zone and I'm not playing whoever's in your position and just try and learn off them so that was really important and so my dad passed away when I was 19 but I think he's actually been my motivation to carry on for so long you know afterwards as well mm-hmm. um so we, he's had an influence you know from when I was eight to when I'm 28 so for 20 years really he's been that my biggest motivation to play yeah yeah so you started to be, you know, you, you very much had that one-on-one coaching experience that Phil was talking about. Um, yeah. And, you know, he remains your your kind of why, really, doesn't he now? Yeah, definitely. And I think I'm quite lucky, really, you know, like Phil says, not 
not all children get that. Um, some dads don't have that relationship, but I was lucky that actually my dad uh, was that person for me and he he played football. So, he, you know, he had the knowledge and he could pass that, that over to me then. Um, and I think that was really, really important. Um, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I was the same to Jody where my dad was, played football. He didn't actually coach me, but he always played. And the amount of time in the garden that we play, and mm. I could kind of always do a lot of kick-ups and a lot of that was my dad saying, come on, you know, practice. And he throw the ball in the air and I'd bring it down and stuff. And I think my mum wanted me to do um, dance stuff. She's always supported me playing football, but I do think if my dad wasn't into football and got me playing from such a young age, I might not have done it and sort of committed yeah. to it and, you know, been sort of a, a strong player with, within the city. Um, similar to Jodie, my brother sort of didn't play for a team either. So I suppose I had that attention, you know, with let's go and play or he'd take me swimming or different things. And actually, if my brother played or my dad wasn't into it, then maybe I wouldn't have played for Stoke Women yeah. and, and been a coach and stuff. So I think it's really interesting as well. Yeah, definitely. I, I totally agree with that. Like I say, I feel very lucky that he was because I would probably never have even thought about playing football if I wasn't around, you know, my dad or my brother watching football constantly. But yeah, definitely. And and like Lucy says, it just their motivation rubs off on you, like constantly trying to practice. We were, we were always at the field. And like you say about the rough and tumble, my dad never went soft on me, you know, it, we would go in and challenge and everything and just to build my resilience really you know that sort of aggression in the game and different things which obviously I, I try and implement into my game now so I think you know them lessons yeah. are really important from a really young age yeah well, I bet that aggression transfers to the pitch too Jody. for you I'd imagine you wouldn't stand back and be a wallflower <laughs> on the field uh, I just get that sense that you'd be a terrier <laughs> as well um, but but you know what, what is really interesting is there's obviously that connection between those childhood experiences and the elite pathway but you know what there's not many that have that opportunity or the genetics to be amazing and you know to, to compete at that really high level but the majority of the population we also want to make sure that they can play recreational games of whatever so that social connection later and then many of their dads just do not have the skills the awareness the motivation um, the realisation of the importance of still making sure that helping their children, particularly their girls, develop the skills that will serve them throughout life if they're not getting that elsewhere. And so while there's that connect pathway to assume that, oh, that's great. If you've got a father or father figure around, then you're right. But that's that's just not, that's as I said, 70% don't realise they have influence, but many mm-hmm. just don't play or many may not have an interest in sports like the sort of football-loving dads that we've spoken about. But when they get in the program, they realise the broader benefits that they're prepared to go, you know what? There's many ways to have fun and now I learn how to do that and I can open the doors for a whole range of other pursuits for my children. So they're bought in and they're kind of outside that bubble of the talented sports people and there's many on this, most on this call. What I'm really interested to learn, Jodie, as well, especially from your perspective, did you face any um, negativity because of your gender as a girl stroke woman playing football when you were growing up? That sort of tomboy, why do you want to get dirty, that kind of stuff? <laughs> Not massively, but little bits and bobs, yeah. I, I was always a tom- tomboy and hanging around with boys and, you know, playing football or any sort of sport over the holidays and different things. But at school, I used to get, like, sort of called a lesbian or different things like that, even at the age of 11 and 12, you know, just because I played football. Yeah, I mean, I'm quite a resilient person, so I can sort of brush that off. But 
I understand that perhaps girls who, who aren't or haven't built built the confidence or that would really knock them and actually they might actually you know withdraw from any sort of sport because of you know because of the backlash they're getting from from people around them that's that it was really shocking actually to hear that you say that that you were getting that as young as 11 how much of a problem is that I don't know whether that's a question for you Phil or or Lee maybe want to come in on that It, it is a huge problem and it is worse than you realize and the reason it is worse than you realize is that well, in many kind of official reports or research publications, there's a sampling bias because if you want to really know what's happening in schools, for example, in the context of gender and barriers, you send out a survey and 70% of principals say, oh, no, we're not interested in the research. So then you've got 30%. And of that 30%, you want to ask teachers what's happening and most of them go, I don't want to be researched. So you end up you know, doing this research and it's kind of through rose-coloured glasses and there's social desirability bias, et cetera, et cetera. But what was really interesting is that two things that we did is that we got student teachers studying at university to go and kind of keep a bit of a diary of what they actually saw and documented both through policy, but things they saw and heard in the playgrounds and classrooms. So it was kind of, we got in, in round the back. And, and secondly, the daughters and dads in our programs, we've got heaps of data on what they've observed and seen. And some of the things the girls would report what they saw through their gender glasses and what they see, what they see through there. And you think it's the year 2022. Is this sort of thing seriously? So things that sound as, as innocuous as, can I get some strong boys to lift these chairs? Okay, girls, you can have a love heart sticker for your work. Boys, you can have a football sticker. And, you know, you think, is this going to plummet the world into poor self-esteem if we give a girl a love heart sticker? What's wrong with love, et cetera? But it's the sum of the parts. It's just constantly hearing it from different people that you're meant to respect, teachers, and, 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 and your identity starts to get shaped because, really, we're human beings. We've got a huge range of interests, and they just add up. And so another theme in the playground that we came emerge was that girls can't play sport. So you alluded to, Jody, some of the comments that were made to you. And there's a real problem also with boys saying, giving girls a hard time about playing sport and as a huge barrier. So it's worse than it is because, and there's just teacher practices as well, that you, if you actually sat down, they'd go, I didn't even realise that's true. We had a special day at school and we, this is an example, the girls got to stay in the classroom and do their hair and paint their nails and wrote an essay on why everyone should dance. And we got the boys outside and they played football, capture the target, and we did a debate on whether Superman or um, Batman would win a fight. And it's like, hang on, what did you just say? Oh, because that's what girls want to do, what boys want to do. Hey, but what else would you do? Hey, here's an idea. Hey, kids, outside, there's a game of football. Who wants to go? Inside, we can write an essay. If anyone wants to do their hair, you can do that as well. So just about giving them choice. So that's the, that's, that's the key thing. You can, you can call your daughter beautiful and sweetheart if you want, but make sure you remember she can be your brave heart. She can be brave. She can be beautiful, adorable, athletic. It's about bringing balance because all of these things add up. So it's the, it's the sum of the parts here. Mm. And finally, the gender stereotypes and bias have been, been around for a long time, but what are we going to do about it? And so there's a few things that, A, that I spoke about empowering the girls. They develop critical thinking skills to go, you know what? You said that. Is that true or false or fair or unfair? That's key. That's part of critical thinking. We don't have a girls' football team at school. We only have a boys. Is that, is that fair or unfair? Well, that's a bit unfair if you girls want to play. 
Um, girls can't play sports. Is that true or false? Well, no, that's false. So therefore, they've got at least a simple framework. And then what do you do about it? You can speak up, question it. Can I have a football sticker or do I have to have the love heart sticker or smirk on the inside? And that has to have some empathy. Go and chat about it with dad or mum. Hey, what do you reckon about this? And know that once you've done the program, that just because you can't get a football sticker doesn't mean you can't play football. So that's a really important piece. And then the next step is we do need broader education. And the dads, um, and they're not positioned as the heroes of gender equity. They're, they're, they need to make up some ground in their understanding of what it actually means. Mm-hmm. And so creating them as allies and gender equity advocates is really important. And that's what comes through in our research. Um, but then also the teachers need teacher education. We're making sure doors are open for girls and making sure those sort of what seem to be innocuous minor statements are just taken out of the vocabulary so we don't start to shape what kids think about themselves. It's, it makes me so cross. It becomes, as you say, it becomes an echo chamber, doesn't it? You hear it enough times and you start to believe that you should be on the sidelines mm-hmm. and, you know, you shouldn't be getting dirty. Lee, coming to you, you've had a young son during this program, I believe. Yeah. Uh, Phil talks then about how dads kind of need to catch up. But for the, you know, the younger generation coming through, how has this opened your eyes to how you will parent him? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it's really important that the the educational piece come through as, as early as possible, that he truly understands and, and gets it that, you know, as he gets older, he will become his own individual and he will start to make decisions. So it's really important that in those early infant years, that as much as possible, I'm trying to feed him and give him that information, that education and that insight to help him make better informed decisions as, as he gets older. Um, and, you know, it's what, it's what we put around him. Um, and I think, you know, I, I've got a great example with within my family. We brought Isaac a little pink and blue striped pram because he actually loved playing with with babies when, when he was um, younger. And it was that expectation that, and perception that actually a boy shouldn't be playing with dolls and shouldn't be pushing a pram around the streets. And we happily and actively encouraged him to take his pram and his baby out and walk it round around the streets with us because we don't want to limit him to think that actually that isn't something that he can do because as Phil mentioned, you know, that shows care and that shows love, but we can also take him out and we can get him dirty and we can play rough and tumble and we can be physical with him. So we're giving him that really broad um, experience and understanding to hopefully help him develop um, into a more sort of rounded and, and holistic person. And, you know, hopefully that then he's able to use that to support the education of others around him as well. Um, and I think that's really important that that, that knowledge share cascades. Um, and, you know, I know you asked specifically about my, my son here, but we've also seen that with, with the program as well and how that knowledge has shared, not just with daughter and dad, but how other young girls have been challenging their friends around what they say and the language that's used. Yeah, absolutely. Um you know, and gender stereotyping, you know, it works both ways, doesn't it? You know, we need to break that down, but it's not going to happen overnight because these are really deep, deep rooted, deep set issues that have been going on for hundreds of thousands of years. Just to finally wrap up, I'd just love to know, we've spoken a lot about the really positive impact that the, um, the Dads and Daughters Active and Empowered program has. What is the vision for the future of the program, but also how can we extend this outside the remit of the program? 
what's really interesting is that there is just a huge number of major sporting organizations that have contacted us wanting to do a sport specific variant of daughters and dads so even though they have great female participation initiatives there's something innovative in that missing piece and I, I joke with my team pick a country in a sport and we've probably been contacted for them from we've had grants in for daughters and dads badminton and hockey in tonga and samoa um, and we've had so many contacts. So we've been reactive, but it's like we are onto something here that a broader vision is, well, how do we make this scalable and sustainable, have these connected key partnerships? Um, two nights ago, Daughters and Dads Austria started, um, which was just fascinating. So so many countries are faced with exactly the same issues. And when we train them and show the ways we address these issues, it's really meaningful. Um, it's emotive. And it connects with them on a really deep level. And so for us, it's just a juggernaut at the moment with all these interests and we're focused on developing the programs and then partnering with Women in Sport UK through the Sport England funding to test a model of the daughters and dads. And as Lee alluded to, COVID and lockdowns and all these different barriers and momentum changes. But the broader vision is how can this program be in countries that need it the most? Is there a way we can tailor it for different sports and settings and different cultures? Uh, another one on the books this year is Savannah Pride Doors and Dads Basketball for Sudanese families in Australia. So there's just so many variants, cultural variants and sports variants that it's just really exciting the future. And as I said, I think there's a place for this training for teacher education and also in universities so we can have that impact that we demonstrated in Newcastle. I think um, with us, like obviously this is targeted at deprived areas, but we've had a lot of people asking who, you know, they're not from a deprived area than state reps, so they still want more time to bond with the daughters and, and develop their skills. So I think you could really open it out to kind of anybody. Like obviously exactly. we want to give them um, opportunities and, you know, you might run two programmes and you could sort of target different demographics. But I think that there's a need to involve every dad, um, you know, whether it's from a deprived area or not. And then we've we've sort of had things around mothers and sons and queries on that. The next one I want to do is daughters and dads, teenagers. So just another life stage that for all the reasons we've discussed. So watch this space. Can't wait to see that. We know from our research how important it is to engage in teenagers, especially because, the, you know, disengagement starts happening very much at that transition from primary to secondary school. Lee, do you want to just quickly pick up just on um, the impact that you've seen? Yeah, I think for, for me, sort of where, where I'd love to see us, I think Phil probably probably covered them really well, but the, the educational side of the thing is really understanding those influencers in, in young girls' lives and really helping to support them to understand um, and, you know, hopefully break, break those norms. Um, I think they really need to, you know, open their eyes and see those possibilities and really raise and drive gender equity. Um, I think that's so important and, and, and so powerful. And, you know, that's the starting point to build these resilient, confident and, and competent young girls that hopefully go on to live you know, lifelong healthy habits um, of, of sport and physical activity. Um, but I think within that, it's creating that, um, you know, allyship approach. And it doesn't have to be people that step out and are always vocal, like, yes, we need some of them. But it's also people behind the scenes that keep pushing and, and persevering and resilient in helping to support but make those subtle changes that are going to be such big changes over time and you know like you said earlier we're not going to change things overnight but the more people that are on this journey with us the advocates that we have talking about it the quicker we'll progress on on that journey 
Yeah, absolutely, Lee. It's just so important to be taking steps forward and educating not just dads and father figures, but of course the wider family, caregivers and teachers about the importance of being active and learning those um, fundamental movement skills for helping girls to grow in confidence and increasing things like self-belief and resilience to give them the best possible starting point in life. Well, thank you so much to today's guests, Phil, Lucy, Lee and Jodie for such a fascinating discussion. If you would like to know more about the Daughters and Dads programme, head to our website at womeninsport.org. And if you would like to support the work we do, click the donate button. We really appreciate your support. Thank you so much for listening.